0: This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual samit from Navigant Research.
1: And I'm Rebecca Linlan from Rebecca Drives.
0: Welcome back, everybody. We
2: are gonna talk about the cars we're driving. So uh Rebecca, you had the fanciest car, so I think you should go first.
1: <laughs> I did have the fanciest car. So I I have to look and make sure that I get all of the letters right in it because there's a lot of them. So it was the Mercedes-Benz AMG GTC Roadster and convertible, gorgeous, fabulous. Thump 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 when you turn it on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> as a proper <laughs> V8, a as stuff. all all performance cars probably should.
1: Yes, um, exactly. And I don't know if it's too soon to introduce the word turbo, which has been much abused and maligned this week. (laughs) But but it was Uh, this one goes for um, I think it was about one hundred and sixty seven thousand dollars of happiness. And um, I will say that, you know, it's just it's a beautiful two seater. It was just it just in just invites you in and was so fun to drive. I think that Mercedes has done a really good job of balancing road and handling with the that kind of sharp uh, bumps that you can, you know, the sharp ride that you can experience sometimes. It's almost makes it, things uncomfortable to drive. You know, you don't want to get beaten up. And I had one of my friends, my one of my my college roommate actually, uh, came. We went down to the U.S. Open on last Saturday, and so you know we had some pretty rough roads to navigate. It's in Queens, and it's right by um, the City Field where the New York Mets play, and you know the roads just aren't that great around here. And this thing was fantastic. I mean, we really were absolutely delighted with it, as well. We should be, but again, sometimes they. That balance isn't always there where you kind of get beaten up. And Mercedes just did a fantastic job with this. It's you know, the interior is beautiful. Um, just the the acceleration is everything that you would want in a V8. And it was just it was just so nice. One of the things it had though was a special matte finish or satin finish paint on it, and that was a little tough to manage. I, you know, it it rained, the car was, the car was in my driveway and it rained and it sat there overnight. And so then the next morning it had these giant rain stains all over it. And I had to take it to the car wash immediately because you can't drive around like that. And fortunately, did you take it
0: through an automatic car wash?
1: I did not take it okay. through an automatic car wash. I, that's I was going to say. So luckily, not, the,
0: not that you'd admit to anyway. I,
1: right? I did. <laughs> I did not. I took it to a hand wash <clears throat> uh, because, of course. Here in Greenwich,
2: I was going to say I'm they use like the fine merino wool uh, exactly. hand
1: mitts. And, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so um, you know, they washed it and, and it came out looking beautiful. There was a small swipe on it that was annoying, but I got that out. And um, you know, but but you do have to take some care with the when you get a special paint finish on it. Now, that being said, those same paints have. I mean, they've improved tremendously. And so, you know, now it's not quite as high maintenance or actually it doesn't look as gross and bad as it does when it's, you know, first thing in the morning or covered with dew or something. Um, It did rain again, but I was driving and so it was able to whisk off. And then when I parked it, it had nothing on it. I mean, it looked like You know, it was just absolutely perfect, which was interesting. It was a very different experience when the car sits there in the rain versus driving in the rain. Because my first thought was, oh, well, there goes my, you know, very expensive, fancy car wash. But no, it actually just looked absolutely gorgeous. Um, The other thing I really liked about it was when we put the top up and drove home at night with the top up, it didn't feel cramped. You know, we still had that a nice we still felt like we had. A, a nice experience as opposed to a lot of convertibles when you put the top up you feel like you know it, you're sort of cramped and you're sitting low and and my friend Beth is very tall she's over five she's over five eleven, and not the smallest woman ever which she knows <laughs> and so but you know we, we were both very very comfortable in the vehicle so um It was it was sad to see it go for sure. I also got a lot of comments, uh, both from the very enthusiastic people that directed us where to park at the U.S. Open, of which Mercedes is a significant sponsor uh, and just around town, you know, just people coming by and commenting on it. And, you know, the paint really attracted a lot of attention. But just the car itself, it's just it's just a beautiful vehicle.
2: Did it feel big at all when you're driving it? Not not cramped in, in that sense, but just like, did it feel like it's hard to know where the edges of it are?
1: Yeah, no, Dan, that's absolutely a fair question. And, you know, the hood is definitely large, uh, but the seat had enough travel in it and so that I didn't feel like I was sitting on the ground and I did not have that same feeling. I've had that in others. um, But no, this was this really drove. It drove small. You know, I think it drove even smaller than it looks um, because it is wide, but I never had any issues parking it. You know, I never had that feeling of like, I don't know where the edges are. So, no, I thought it was actually really um, just just a lot of fun to drive. I really I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's actually, you know, the GT is not that big a car. It's, it is relatively small, but it has those classic, you know, sports car proportions, you know, long hood, the cab, the cabin is set way back in the chassis. Uh, You know, so it, it can be, you know, cars like that can be a little intimidating if you're not used to them because, you know, you, you do sit low in the car compared to, especially compared to today, most people are driving you know, various types of utility vehicles where you sit up higher. So you're sitting low relative to that. And you've got this long hood that stretches out in front of you.
1: Right, right. And it is a big long hood. I mean, you're definitely sitting all the way back. You know, there's there. The trunk is a pretty good size, but there's really not a lot of storage within the cabin. And there is there is a decent size uh, storage bin in the armrest, in the center console armrest so that you can put like your wallet and phone and such so it's not flying around but uh the trunk is really your only option for any kind of a briefcase or a handbag or something like that and uh so it's you know but it you know you are all the way back and the, and the hood obviously is stretching very you know far out in front of you visually but then once you're driving then that's normalized so once i was on the road then it felt it felt fine It is a little tricky. It does ride very low. So there were definitely some times when I was afraid I was going to bottom out a little bit like in the front, Uh, but I managed not to. So thankfully, but it was definitely something I was aware of, you know, approaching curbs and stuff. I probably was sticking out more than I was, you know, hugging a curb.
2: How does it do on the merit when you put your foot down and make the V8 run? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, you know,
2: that's a terrible experience. And why would I ever do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> merit, no, it merit on the Saturday at night. That, oh. That's the only thing you got to watch out for is deer. I mean, no,
1: you're absolutely right. And and I typically so my mom lives about half an hour north of here and I typically will drive the Merritt to her house and then I take ninety five back if it's at night because there's not as much as much deer and I live I live closer to ninety five and I'm not going to run into as many back roads. But this thing on the back roads, I mean, it just, you know, it hugs, turns like a girlfriend. It's just it's (laughs) fabulous. (laughs) So, yeah, it's nice. It's pretty. <laughs> I it's, want one.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you just sell your house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, in Greenwich, you definitely have enough. You're just yeah. like.
1: <laughs> well, but this is what is interesting is that you don't see them very often. I mean, there's just not a lot of them around. And I don't know if that's by design or just you know because it's certainly the season for them
0: yeah well um, the, the the AMG GTs are relatively low volume production i mean those are you know those are models that are exclusive to to, to the AMG brand. um you know so i mean mercedes makes AMG variants of every you know pretty much everything in their lineup now but the the GTs are ex- AMG exclusive models so they they do, you're right they don't build very many of them
1: yeah, which, which is good. You don't want to see yourself coming and going. You know, just uh, yesterday I was driving around and I passed two Porsche Cayennes identically specked, within <laughs> like within a third of a mile of each other, you know, and that's kind of, you know, what people don't well, want.
0: Cayennes and Range Rovers are the official cars of Greenwich, are they not? I was going to say, they like, that, that's just like a family wagon. Probably had like three yeah. or four
2: snot-nosed kids pressed up against <laughs> the windows oh, on their no, way to... No.
1: Never three or four, only two point five.
2: <laughs> two point five on their way to um, right the designer dog. That's a high maintenance item yes, too. Yes,
1: exactly. Um, on their
2: on their way to polo practice or so, water polo. <laughs> Jesus,
0: hey, get easy on water polo. I played water uh, polo. I, I, why, I'm sorry, really? I should have picked something different. Um, polo, on their fine, way to, but not water polo.
2: Just sailing. Can, I don't know. Yeah. Sailing's exactly. always a good one to beat up on.
1: So a brief diversion. <laughs> so I was in San Diego. And they brought in these four four Gen Z kids to talk to us for this conference. And this kid walks in. His name is Judson. He's very cute. So He's Gen tall, Z. He's tall. So Gen Z. Gen Z. Gen Z. Hey, he was
2: named after a supercharger. That's okay. fine. Carry on. He
1: has white blonde hair, tan, and, you know, kind of that like Southern California. Yo, man. I already hate Yo. him totally grooving and so I I talked to him afterwards he was so nice he was actually very well spoken and he's like well you know I found out that like my you know water polo team plays that other kid's water polo team <laughs> I was just laughing I tried not to laugh like right in his face because I was like oh of course you play water polo yeah. and then he he rides his skateboard to school sometimes and they have a special rack or skateboarders.
2: Well, that's cool. I, school, I, I right? support that. Yeah. yeah I mean, not
0: I, that. that's
1: Altern- amazing. Alternative I transportation. Like
2: so,
1: I know. I just thought
0: that was so I, awesome. So, I, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd rather see a kid riding a, riding a skateboard to school than driving an AMG to school. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and well, then you should stay away from Boston University. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so Sorry, much. We, di-
1: high- we, we digress. We digress. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so much high-priced iron. It's seriously, like, as a car spotter, the... One of the best things to do is just like chill out near Boston University on, on uh, 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 <laughs> oh. app beacon string, uh, but yeah, I mean, you just watch and they're all they're always all black with super dark tint and like Porsches and GTRs and stuff, and yeah, uh, anyway, yeah, okay. je- I'll, I'll let my it's not even jealousy, it's just like man, I chose poorly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: You were just born into the wrong family. Man. I,
2: yeah, that's, that's true. That's okay. I'm sure they'd awesome. admit it
0: to so, But also
2: to balance yeah. off the, the AMG, G, G, the, the AMG, A, B, C, D, F, G, whatever you drove. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you, you went out to, to San Diego, like you said, and you, you drove the Accord hybrid for a little bit.
1: I did. I, I drove the Accord hybrid for a little bit. I, you know, this was just, it's, it's a, such a nice solid sedan the Accord. I really really enjoy driving the Accord. I always think it's just it's just good reliable transportation and it has a lot of good safety features in it. The hybrid I was a little disappointed. I think that my um my estimated mileage was was forty one, which I think is is well below what they anticipate it was going to be. I think it was supposed to be um in more in the mid forties. So I yeah, don't know. Yeah but that's only that was... when you
0: drive it at less than ninety miles an hour.
1: Well but so it feels 80... so
2: good at 110.
1: So doesn't 80 <laughs> count? <laughs> 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 no, I, I, and you're right. I didn't it's oh, it was forty eight is what it's supposed to get. And I got 40, 41. Um, I did mostly highway driving in it though, to be fair. So, but, um, but you know, it's, and, and I, I don't know if it entitles people to the green sticker. The not not anymore.
0: You have to I have, don't think have, so, to have right? a plug in now to get the, the HOV lane sticker. Okay. Um, the, yeah. Yeah. Hybrids getting the HOV lane stickers was back in the, the past decade. Uh, these days okay. you have to have a plug.
1: Well, and you know what, to be fair, I mean, it doesn't really matter because the the HOV lane is just as crowded as the non-HOV lane. So it doesn't really it doesn't make a difference. But, uh, you know, for for improved fuel economy, I think it's a good option for people. Uh, And, you know, again, it's just. It's it's an accord. It's just a good solid vehicle. It has a lot of room in it. It's well thought out. I was able to use Android Auto with no problem at all. It hooked up right away. Um, hilariously, and I'm pretty sure I talked about this before. It still doesn't recognize Yacht Rock. Like I can't get it to.
2: Oh like, yes, yeah, some, <laughs> um, some of the um some of the Sirius XM receivers don't have the newer <laughs> channels. Yeah.
1: Oh no no no. It's it had it. Oh. It's just the voice recognition keeps wanting to go to Sirius. XM seven and not 70. And then, so I, I have this whole video recording that I did when I was trying to get the Honda pilot to, to talk, to, to turn channel, to tune to XM 70 and I couldn't get it. So I tried it in the accord and it was the same issue. What if you try
2: 70 versus 70?
1: I tried everything. Everything.
2: I I I wind up having to enunciate. And that's what annoys me about the voice assistant system. It's like, I don't want to have to learn how to talk to this thing.
1: Yeah, no, I I seriously, I tried everything and it was really comical. But sadly, with the summer gone, so is Yacht Rock.
2: So I bet you probably have some of those cassettes and LPs.
1: I probably do.
2: <laughs> I bet your buddy Elliot probably recorded some of those. I,
1: I was raised right. And yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. So.
2: Um, but yes, yeah, so no, the accord was was lovely. I'm going to send you a CD with just nothing but peg on it over and over. <laughs> and,
1: <laughs> and don't forget, hey, 19. OK, which was right, was which was written about Elliot. Was it really his girlfriends? It really
2: was. Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, last year I drove the uh, Accord hybrid up to Traverse City for the uh, management briefing oh, okay. seminars, and it, I, we really enjoyed that one as well. I mean, it, it's a great long-distance cruiser, and I think we got about 42, 43 miles per gallon with it, you know, driving up north. And uh, so, you know, that I think that's about right for, for highway driving. And the reality is, you know, once you get past about 35, 37 miles per gallon, every additional mile per gallon the difference in how much fuel you use gets starts to get so small that it's almost inconsequential so the difference mm. between 42 and 48 is, you know in terms of you know your fuel savings is really minuscule anyway so it doesn't really matter that much
1: yeah and you know what what i like about the hybrid is that it's not weird you know it looks normal <laughs> yeah you know what yeah. i mean yep. like
0: well it's, it's just yeah, manufacturers are getting away from that, you know, that that the hybrids have to look different thing. You know, early on, you know, when Toyota was, you know, selling tons and tons of Priuses, you know, everybody thought, well, you know, people only want to buy hybrids if they look different. And so they, you know, they were making hybrids, you know, I mean, Honda did the Insight, you know, specifically to look like a Prius. And, you know, Hyundai did the Ionic, you know, to look like a Prius. But, um, you know, increasingly that's, you know, that's no, even even Priuses aren't selling that well anymore. And so manufacturers are just are going back to just making them look normal, just putting hybrid powertrains in anything to get the extra fuel economy and just making them look average.
2: Well, I think too, that there, there was definitely a Prius effect um, b- because it was, think about pre-Tesla, right? Like that was mm-hmm. the, the, uh, um, you know, conspicuous it was it was was uh, the virtue
0: signaling car right
2: conspicuous conservation like look i bought a thing so i'm now i'm i care about the environment (laughs)
1: that's but that's a very much a baby boomer attribute is they wanted everybody the car the vehicle Mm -hmm. is so much a representation of who they are and a frame around themselves that they wanted everybody to know that they were saving the world and the Prius told them that, as opposed to something like the Ford Escape, that you had to read the fine print, right? You had to look and see if it was a hybrid. If you didn't or
0: not. notice that little green leaf badge on the on the tailgate, you wouldn't know right. it was a hybrid.
1: Exactly. But Gen X is very different. They were much more understated. We're much more like, yes, we're saving the world, but we don't need the whole entire yeah, world to do
0: that. I, I don't know if I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, now you know that new virtue signaling thing is the Tesla. You know. If you drive a Model S or, or a Model Three, you know that's that's what you know you're you're yeah. using that as a signal, and a lot yeah, of the but customers, still, but the especially average the age, three are those are those younger customers.
1: Well, but the younger customers are different, though. It still is. It's still. I don't think that the average age of a Tesla buyer is Gen X. It might be. I don't know.
0: I, I actually, I think it probably is, particularly in California. You know, yeah, where a lot of different. a lot of you know Silicon Valley people, <laughs> a lot of uh, LA people, you know, are those younger customers that are jumping into those things.
1: Yeah, but they're younger though; they're not Gen X.
0: Gen uh, X is in their Well, is in their... I guess I'm, when I said younger, I meant younger than baby boomers.
1: Yeah, but but Gen X is very different than both baby boomers and yeah. and millennials or the I know we just so we just got our
2: heads down, keeping the lights on. We clean up the mess of our parents and kids are going to eat our lunch.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I just, I think that the Tesla buyer, as we've talked about many times is different, but anyway, I just, I like the fact, I think that, that the, the appeal of something like a hybrid is expanded when it just looks normal.
2: Yeah. I, 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 well, You know, I I don't know. I can see both sides of it because like we just talked about with the signaling and the whole like I I bought a thing um, versus the It's just a regular car. I think the Prius thing had to happen and the the, the hybrids that look weird had to happen for us to get to the point where uh, it's more of now it's a hybrid, but it doesn't. It's just a regular car. Uh, It's been packaged so that you don't give up any cargo space or minimal cargo space. And it just works everything works smoothly you know i think we're in a good place because of what came before (laughs) i
1: think there's room in the market for both yeah Yeah,
0: i I, I think i think think, you know next a year from now is going to be an interesting time to look back at this and see if a, a normal looking hybrid actually is something that will sell because you know right now you know for the last several years hybrids have been stuck at you know like two you know 2% or less of the the markets in place. They really haven't grown in popularity and and have in fact shrunk um, because of low fuel prices in the U S but you know, right now there's, there's a whole bunch of new hybrids coming to market, particularly from Ford. And it's going to be interesting to see how much traction those car, those vehicles really get because they're not putting them into, you know, traditional sedans or, you know, car, small cars, you know, they're putting them into things like the Explorer and we're going to have the F-150 and then, you know, the new Escape Hybrid, which I'll be driving tomorrow. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they have a whole slate of new hybrid and plug-in hybrid vehicles. And, you know, talking to Ford in particular, you know, they are quite bullish on their projections for what kind of penetration they're going to get on, on some of those hybrids. Like, you know, they've, they've, they said at the, at the launch of the Escape last spring you know for the hybrid they're they're thinking you know like 17 18% maybe more take rate on the hybrid and maybe 5 to 7% for the plug-in hybrid which would be you know a really high percentage for those vehicles uh compared to what they've had in the past so you know i think this this is a topic we'll have to revisit somewhere down yeah. the line
2: Well, I, it's yeah, going to be sure. it's going to be interesting to see if they can pull it off i i wonder if some of the drop off in hybrid is due to people skipping to uh, full EV. So if you have a if you have a hybrid like a plug-in hybrid, do you tout your um your EV only range uh as a selling point? And the fact that because hybrids were always just a stopgap anyway, even when Toyota sort of cooked up the Prius initially, they they were taking a much longer view saying, you know, to get there, this is the first step and eventually hybrids are not going to be needed, but right now they are. Um so it's kind of we all expected hybrids to to drop off at some point, um,
0: but I wonder if but it's they just, dropped off long before EVs became mainstream.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, it's part of it, as I think, you know, I wonder if the fascination with them has died down a little bit. Um,
1: but I also wonder, you know, I remember years ago when I was with IHS and how we defined a hybrid, it, it was you know we we considered things with stop start to be hybrids too what? and that's yeah well, well that's cuz we were we were again this was well, 10 I mean, years ago yeah i
0: mean and and you know typically you know those you know there's been more more granularity in that whole spectrum i mean there's a spectrum of of hybr- of electrified technologies you know you've got strong hybrids like the prius and and you know what ford builds and then there's mild hybrids, which are you know, like Honda's old IMA system, and the, the current generation of 48 volt mild hybrids, which you know have more electrific- you know, less electrification than a, a full hybrid, uh, but not, you know, they can't really operate, you know, purely electrically even for short distances. And then, you know, the 12 volt start, auto stop start systems were, were often labeled as micro hybrids.
1: Huh. Right. And so it's kind of like, how do you, you know, how do you count a hybrid? Because you could say that the entire market is going to hybrid because they have stop start. But so I know I know that's not really what we're talking about, but
0: it's it's still so we can talk you know, about whatever we want. That's right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I think, I think the, like, that kind of hair splitting matters to uh, the industry and analysts and not at not all to consumers, the customers. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, I agree completely. So now that we're completely digressing, no, that's okay. Uh, what What are you guys driving? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, Sam, you. Um, I think you mentioned briefly the CX five the last time we we recorded. Maybe not, but um, I know you you had it.
0: Yeah, so I, I had I had the Mazda CX five diesel, um, which you know we've talked about Ooh. repeatedly over the last several years. You know, as Mazda struggled to actually bring it to market. Uh, and, you know, we, I think earlier this spring uh, after the New York Auto Show, I think we might have talked about, you know, when they finally announced that it was actually really f- truly going on sale, um, you know, th- some of the challenges they had in trying to get it certified, particularly in California. They they actually had the CX-5 diesel certified by the EPA back almost two years ago for the 2018 model year. Uh, but then, you know, then they it, st- it still never showed up, you know, in dealerships. And it turns out that, you know, that the reason why was they were still going back and forth with the California Air Resources Board on California certification, uh, because, you know, in the wake of the VW diesel scandal, they wanted, you know, CARB wanted to make sure that, you know, it would actually ma- you know, meet emissions requirements for the life cycle of the full, full life cycle of that vehicle. And so they did a lot more testing and, you know, had to do a lot more to satisfy California, that you know that this was in fact you know clean enough to to put on sale. Um, so now it's it's finally out there. I had a chance to spend about a week and a half with it. I drove it up north to, to Traverse City. Um, you know, it's you know it's got everything we like about the CX five. I mean, you know, we've talked about the CX five several times in the past. You know, I really like this little vehicle. You know, compact crossover. Um, you know, it's got a really nice interior. It looks great from the outside drives really well, you know, and, you know, they've, they've added a diesel to it. And, uh, you know, the review that I'm, that I've been working on for a while now, you know, it's, it's the, in the, the lead, you know, I kind of reference this idea, you know, there's these two bits of common wisdom in business, you know, that it's all about, you know, location, 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 and timing being everything. And, you know, it's, it seems like, you know, Mazda may have missed the boat on both of these, you know, because the Mazda is Mazda actually surprisingly enough sells a lot of diesels in Japan, you know, and uh, in the Japanese in their domestic market, over half of CX-5 sales are this diesel engine. It's a 2.2 liter diesel, but you know, they've, they've never previously sold one in North America and they've been trying to get one to market for the last seven or eight years. And, you know, they finally have it now. And, you know, the question is, is it too late? You know, is it, and, you know, is the U.S. market the right place for it in the wake of Dieselgate? Well,
1: the question is, yeah, why? Well,
0: why? you know, uh, two things, a couple uh, several things, actually, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, Mazda is trying to move up market, trying to be seen as a more premium brand. And so having a diesel option in there is part of, you know, that trying to create that perception of being a more premium brand. Um, you know, it's, it's not, you know, necessarily a mainstream product, you know, a diesel engine these days. Um, and you know, the, the other component of it, uh, for, for Mazda, you know, is also trying to, um, improving the, the towing capability of the vehicle and, and just trying to, you know, improve the, the drivability, you know, just trying to make it more appealing to at least to a certain segment of buyers. And, you know, I'm not sure how big that segment is anymore in the U.S. market. You know, I think Mazda acknowledges they don't expect to sell a huge number of these things, you know, probably no more than a few thousand uh, at best, uh, maybe less than that. But, you know, they've, they've got it developed and they decide what the hell, let's put it on the market and see what happens. Um, you know, so as diesels go, this is, this is a great diesel you know it's the sky active d you know is unusual compared to most Diesels in that uh it has a relatively low compression ratio it's only fourteen to one whereas their their gas sky active engines are like thirteen to one now Um mm-hmm. uh, what, and and what that does is it allows them to um, have a lower combustion temperature in the engine um, you know it's it runs smoother the lower combustion temperature gives them uh, less NOx emissions uh, and lower particulate production uh, in the engine. So less soot uh, and less NOx, so cleaner emissions. And uh, it also runs, you know, really smoothly. And it's, it's a surprisingly quiet engine. You know, it's got less less clatter than any other diesel I've driven before. And it, um, it, it also revs better than any other diesel. Like it'll rev all the way to 5,500 RPM with no problem. Yeah, and they're the 2.5 liter turbo gas engine, you know, in the last CX-5 I drove, that's only got a 6,300 RPM red line. So, you know, it, it feels, you know, more like, you know, more like a, a gas engine in a lot of respects, although it's got a lot of, you know, it's got all that low end torque you expect of a diesel engine. So, you know, the fuel economy, you know, when the EPA numbers came out a couple of years ago, the fuel economy wasn't outstanding. You know, it was okay. Uh, I think the, um, it, it's rated at 28 miles per gallon combined, uh, which is not that exciting, you know, especially when you can go out and buy, you know, a, a RAV4 hybrid, you know, that gets in the mid thirties or something like that. I think now, um, you know, there's a Honda uh, CRV hybrid that's coming soon. Uh, and there's very, you know, and of course the escape hybrid that's, that's, uh, that's coming out. So the, that 31 miles or the 28 miles per gallon doesn't seem that impressive. I actually averaged about 31 miles per gallon over the week and a half I drove it. Um, you know, nice. so I beat it by by quite a bit. That seems like an uh, awful lot of effort to get 31 miles per gallon, though. Like that, I know is. that's
2: what I was thinking yeah. too.
0: And you know the the towing capability of it of the CX five went from um, 1500 pounds to 3500 pounds, and. You know, if you're if you're going to tow, you know, a diesel is definitely a better one to do it with than you know a turbo gas engine. You're going to have a lot less sure. fall off in fuel economy with with that.
1: And, um, what's the range like the tank range, tank full?
0: Uh, range. It's like close to 500 miles, I think. That's that's enough Let's put it this way: it's it's, it's more than most human bladders. Handle. I mean, 500 miles is
2: like that's that's a that's a week worth of commuting for me.
0: Yeah, that's you know so take a week. So it's it's got it's got it's got plenty of range. That's that's not an issue. Um, you know the the only real issue
1: that can be a reason for purchase though. Yeah, because there are people that say I want something that goes further than 300 miles.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, it's not it's not that it's that big a deal. I mean, you know, it only takes you five minutes to fill it up. Um, unlike, you know, EVs that take, you know, take a lot longer, but still, I mean, some people just don't like to go to the gas station or, or fuel station. So, you know, the only real issue I had with this thing, cause I mean, it was great to drive. I mean, it was like, like it has all the attributes that, you know, the CX-5 has always had, you know, it's got, it's a good handling, good ride, cap- ride quality. um, you know, it, it, the diesel only comes on the signature, uh, trim level, which is their top trim level, which, As we talked about before, you know, earlier this year, you and I, Rebecca, both drove the the Turbo uh, Gas uh, Signature Edition, which was like $37,000. The
1: the diesel only
0: comes, (laughs) you know, on the signature, which is fully loaded with pretty much every available option, all-wheel drive, $41,000 to start. (sighs) And the one I drove, uh, actually, well, it has almost all the options. The one I had had pretty much everything on it, came to almost 44,000 delivered, which is a lot, Um, you know. But I guess, you know, if you were to compare it, you know, with something like, say, a BMW X3 um, or, you know, a a Mercedes GLC, you know, it's going to be in the same ballpark as those. Yeah,
2: but Mazda is not one of those brands. They have work to do. It's It's
0: not one of those brands. But, you know, if you take away the labels and, you know, you just compare it, you know, head to head. There's not really that much to distinguish them. You know, I mean, it, it certainly has the look, you know, it has the the style to be considered a premium brand. Although a lot of mainstream brands like the new escape, you know, also have that, you know, similar style. Um, you know, I guess, you know, the question is, is it, you know, is any vehicle of this class or segment really worth that much money? And, yeah, you know, I mean, if 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 what you're considering, you know, is like an Audi Q3 or a GLC, you know, or or an X3, you know, I'm I'm inclined to say that you know I would certainly consider this in that segment, even though we haven't traditionally considered Mazda in that segment. I mean, the idea of of looking at Mazda as a more premium brand, you know, is increasingly feels credible to me. You know, would I would I personally spend forty four grand on this? or on any other similar vehicle from from a german brand? Probably not. I mean, let's
2: be honest though, would but, you personally spend 44 grand on any vehicle?
0: Uh, it depends on the vehicle. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, uh, that Mustang uh, the GT350 I I, I I I have never personally spent right. that much money on a car. Um, but you know, I, I wouldn't entirely rule it out.
1: I would say, you know what? I if I think can get a GT350 t-
0: for 44 grand, I would definitely. Absolutely, that's what I'm saying, right? <laughs> it's a pretty good deal.
1: I think in today's dollars, I think I probably have because I bought an X3 uh, in like 2004. That was probably in the mid to mid 30s, mid to high like 37, 38. Yeah. So I have, but it was a BMW. It was an X3. And it was really nice.
2: <laughs> oh, and that was so X- this Mazda. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, think I mean, the Mazda is going to be much Mazda, they- nicer than that X3 was.
1: No, it's not. I loved my. No, X3. I, I'm
2: not. I'm not saying anything bad about that first generation <laughs> X3, mind you.
1: But no, it was a second generation. It was a second gen. Okay. So maybe it was a little bit later. I can't remember check. Well,
0: okay, see. so the current the current generation X3 starts at 42 grand and goes up from there. Right. You know, so you know, as a as a German vehicle, you know, you know that uh injudicious use of the options list is gonna you know escalate that price very rapidly.
1: Right. I got mine was a middle trim level. Yeah. So it wasn't crazy. But I mean, but if, if you wanted an X three would-
0: equipped like this, like this Mazda was, I mean, you're probably looking you know, well over fifty grand.
1: Well, yeah i mean but i would but i would um one of the things i was thinking about while you were talking not that i wasn't listening <laughs> with i was completely um, was residual value and resale value and that and i don't know where mazda stands on that i'm happy to reach out to uh my former colleagues at kbb and find out but i think that might be an interesting look as well to to see is mazda you know, have we seen an increase in their residual values um, even as a percentage of original cost and such? So that might be yeah, that, interesting. That would be to interesting see.
0: to find out, you know, if you could, if you could ask uh, somebody there yeah. about that, you know, because like I, said, I mean, just, you know, doing a straight up comparison, you know, while, as I said, we, you know, we haven't traditionally considered Mazda as you know, one of those premium brands, you know, when you com- compare, you know, the way they, they look, the way they're built and the way they perform, you know I think that there there's a lot to say it's it's not unreasonable to say that they are competitive with those premium brands um you know, but then again, you know so are a lot of other main you know traditional mainstream brands are increasingly competitive with those premium brands you know and even though it has gotten more expensive, it's still you know a better value than you know going with one of the, the right. German brands. It's well, it's, at the, it's at this loaded stage.
2: at that point. So yeah. there's it's loaded at the point where they start. And yeah, I think you're right, Rebecca. Residual value is probably an area where they they can't compete right now. But Moss has got to do something because they're still a independent brand, and if they want to stay independent, they've got to find their niche and. You know, styling wise, equipment wise, the the way the cars look and feel, I, I think they're they're on to something. We'll we'll see if it sticks. I suppose because uh, everybody's still going to scrunch up their nose for the next couple of years with the thought of paying fifty thousand dollars for a Mazda or forty something thousand dollars for a Mazda. Uh, that, that's still we we've got to learn to accept that. And it's not it's that's the fully loaded model too. Like it's not like you can't get a CX five for less.
1: Right, no, for sure. yeah, so I'll reach out and see what I can find out in the next week or so. all
0: right, all right. great. And then um, the other car I've had more recently since I came back from California when we when we last recorded, oh, and one one uh, one note about the, our our last uh, recording, you know when I was in in California and I had the uh, the Lincoln Navigator um, just a couple of hours before heading to the airport uh, to uh, to head home. I was in San Francisco, I was meeting up with Ed Niedermeyer and a few other folks uh, in San Francisco and broad daylight parked on a busy street in San Francisco at a parking meter. And uh, while I was uh, sitting there uh, having a drink with, uh, with Ed and, and a few other people, uh, I got a call. Uh, it turns out somebody had found my backpack uh, a few miles away. Um, and um, I went out to check the navigator and, you know, it was parked across the street and the, the right rear quarter window on it was smashed uh somebody had smashed the window reached in grabbed my backpack headed for the nearest BART station ditched my backpack at the at the next BART station took my work laptop um you know and fortunately you know the the luggage tag on my backpack you know had my phone number on it the person called me i went and retrieved that the laptop was gone but if you're in San Francisco be very careful about leaving anything where it's even remotely visible i mean you know my backpack was in the rear cargo area um but, you know, it was standing up. And I think, you know, even though the windows are pretty darkly tinted, you know, if, if you're looking through, uh, you know, and the sun is shining from the other side, you could probably just see the silhouette of the, the handle uh, sticking up over the back seat. And, you know, that apparently was enough for somebody to decide, hey, I'm going to take that. Uh, so, you know, make sure you don't leave anything even remotely visible of value in your vehicles in San Francisco. Sure. Sounds there's like par- another reason to hate uh, San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. But per- apparently there, are you know, there are now about a hundred thousand vehicle break-ins a year in San Francisco. I,
1: And of course, no, like they don't even try and you're never going yeah, to I,
0: I, I, you know, I called the police to, to report it, you know, because, you know, it was, a, it was a press car and everything. And they said, yeah, you know, unfortunately, unless you got a witness or, you know, some evidence, there's, there's not a whole lot we can do. You know, I, I filled out the, Report online, but that's probably the last that'll ever be seen of that laptop.
1: You know, this is what's interesting about that is uh, you know, a lot of vehicles used to have cargo covers and you could pull the and, cargo, and actually, over.
0: actually, most still do. Um, but I
1: didn't know what the third row seat, if if they still do, uh,
0: some do. Um, you know, the, you know, the navigator, the, a, the navigator does compromise. not, or at least, um, you know, the one I had because the one I had was the standard length one, so the cargo area is not as long. I think maybe in the, the XL you might get, um, or yeah, the, whatever the long wheelbase one is. I think that one may have a cargo cover and I can't remember, but the one I had did not have a cargo cover.
1: Yeah. Cause a lot of them now, I mean, they actually have really short cargo spaces if they have a third row.
0: Yeah. And so and then that, they, and that's what this one had was a relatively yeah. short, it was, it was long enough, you know, to, to put my suitcase in laying down in there. So it was not visible. Uh, but I had the, the backpack was standing up and the handle was sticking <sighs> up over the, the top of the seat. So wow. you know, my mistake there. Your modern yeah, tech home.
2: utopia, folks. There you go. Yep. Poop on the street and thefts and that's great.
0: Yeah, and it's not even necessarily dog uh feces. <laughs> no, gentrification, <laughs> yeah, class warfare. Sounds yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. But uh anyway, when I got back, I I jumped into uh a Volkswagen Atlas. Um which is in this case was the, the modern edition of the big Brown family station wagon. Um, it, cause it literally was Brown. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, and this, you know, I had previously previously driven the, the SEL trim with the V six engine and all wheel drive and all the goodies in it. This was the first time I drove the base model. And this was like the absolute base Atlas. This is as low as the, the price goes on the Atlas. And so the Atlas is VW's three row utility. Um, and, um, you know, this one was, uh, just shy of $31,000, uh, for this one. And it had the two liter, uh, turbo engine, 235 horsepower, front wheel drive. Um, no, no options. The only, uh, driver assist feature it had was the blind spot monitoring system, which is always nice to have. Um, but no adaptive cruise control or, or, you know, for, you know, lane keeping assist or anything like that, uh, had the, the base radio, which has a seven inch touchscreen, but it does have Android auto and CarPlay support, Um, you know, and Android auto of course is something that you won't get uh, in certain other vehicles from the the Volkswagen group that we'll get to in a bit.
2: Uh, (coughs) But uh,
0: uh, you know, it, it's actually a surprisingly nice vehicle. It's, 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 it's a really roomy vehicle for one thing. I mean, you know, if you've got, um you know if you've got three or more kids you know that you're hauling around um, and the designer dog while
2: while while,
0: while i while i still think a minivan is always a better choice (coughs) than an suv if you're hauling kids um you know if you if you must you know then you know there's a lot of room in this thing even in that third row seat and plenty of cargo space um and you know it's it's (laughs) a pretty it's a nice vehicle to drive around in you know it's not as luxurious feeling um you know certainly doesn't feel as premium as that cx-5 did uh in terms of materials you know it was mostly hard plastics in there but it wasn't you know it didn't feel you know ridiculously cheap either so um you know at that at that price point you know it's fairly competitive you know i, I wouldn't say it's outstanding in any way but but it it's definitely worthy of consideration
1: I was, I remember when I first saw the Atlas, I was really disappointed in the interior. I haven't driven it. I haven't spent any time in it, but I just, I wanted less plastic because I thought it was really just very, very plain and a lot of, a lot of hard plastic. I, I as I said, I haven't spent any time in it, but that was my impression from the, from yeah, what I
0: and, saw and, that, and that's still true. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of hard plastic, you know, uh, on the other hand, you know, it's materials that are going to be durable. You know, they're probably going to stand up well to abuse from little ones and dogs. Um, yeah,
1: but there's a way to do that with just a little yeah. bit more refinement, I think.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, but uh, if, you know, if you're looking for something that's, you know, that, that's got that much room inside, uh, you know, it has that kind of utility and gets decent mileage. I mean, it, it got 24 miles per gallon over the week I drove it, uh, which, you know, for a vehicle that size is, is pretty good, you know, yeah, especially that's very considering good. it's not a hybrid. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an, it's a good choice worth considering, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I, I think it's, I like that size for the brand a lot. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, it's very, it's an appealing size of vehicle for families. I just, and I like the styling of it a lot. I think it looks really sharp. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I just, I wanted to. I I wanted just a little bit more refinement. It just looked a little bit cheap for me, Um, but hopefully I'll get it sometime soon in the fleet and I can take it. I I was
2: going to say, I think that that, uh, even in premium trims, there's that basic level of, I don't want to say Volkswagen plastic, plasticiness, but, um, they have a, a, their design ethos is a little bit, uh, spare or sparse or, uh, you know i it's spartan yeah i, I think in yeah. in the nicer trims they use nicer materials and they 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 dress it up a little bit but there's still like it's it's built on this foundation of uh very price consciousness <laughs> um very much like the passat that we have
0: you know yeah well and, and i think that's that's particularly true of the models they sell in north america yeah. now yeah you know um you know the passat yeah, you know, well, the Passat and the Atlas are both built in Chattanooga. They're built on the same assembly yeah. line in Chattanooga. Yeah, uh, you know, and the you know the, the Jetta you know went uh, I think is a little bit nicer. You know, in terms of its materials. Certainly earlier this decade, when the the previous generation Jetta debuted, it did have more of that hard plastic generation. Yeah, to it was it, the kind of like driving
2: around inside a gallon milk jug.
0: Yeah, the, <laughs> you know, with the current generation Jetta, they've definitely <laughs> that up- so upgraded that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And, you know, the Jetta that we had, you know, our 2010 Jetta was actually really nice, you know, for, for a long time, VWs, you know, had that, you know, more premium looking interior, but they were also a little pricey. long you know, they, shadow
2: of Ferdinand they, Pieck.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it was that, that same kind of more premium feel that you get in a Mazda today. I mean, if you want that kind of feel that, that you had in VWs, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, you know, the, the brand to go to now is Mazda. Whereas you know, um, you know, a lot of the contemporary Volkswagens, you know, have definitely been uh, they're, they've been a little more cost conscious in their uh, in their design ethos.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't know that it really matters. I mean, I, I, people still buy them. I see a lot of them around. So
0: mm, they, they they buy them, but they they don't actually buy that many of them. I think uh, was it was it you, Rebecca, or some somebody I saw this week tweeted. You know, when the the August um, sales numbers came out that um, uh, Subaru, you know, actually actually outsells Volkswagen.
1: Yeah, it it wasn't me, but I saw that tweet as well. That was stunning. Oh, it was. Uh, yeah. I think it was
2: John Volcker pointing out that uh, Sup- oh, okay. Subaru sold like seventy thousand cars uh, in yeah. the last month, which is twice what Volkswagen did. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, he's a good follow if you haven't followed him. He's, he's always interesting. Um, yep, but. Uh, Maybe they're selling as many as they want to. I don't know.
0: I see. It. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think, I think they would, yeah, I don't think this they would much like, limited. I mean, you know, this, <laughs> this is a brand that this is a company that sells 10 million vehicles a year globally. You know, uh, I don't think that they're happy selling, you know, 35, 40,000 a year in the U S yeah. Well, or 30, 35 or 40,000 a month in the U S they
2: should do something about that then.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see if, uh, going electric can can help them.
2: Well, if they wrap it all up in a bus that remind and 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 use like Woodstock, I think they'll well, have a. Re- do you know what's? I'm sorry.
1: Do you know what's so crazy? And granted, this is a, you know a sample size of four, and they're all Californians. But <laughs> you know, we asked those Gen X or the Gen Z kids that we saw t- uh, last week, uh, and they all mentioned the Volkswagen bus. It's just so iconic, and it just it breaks my heart. I mean, they could have. They could have cornered the market had they brought it out, you know, a few years ago when it when it was shown. But hopefully soon. 2022.
0: Shower 2022 on. is apparently the day. <laughs> well, you know, finally going to do it. I mean, if I mean, v, VW has shown so many bus concepts yeah. over the last 20 years.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, it's it's worse than, you know, the Beetle. They just never built any of them until now.
2: Yeah. Well, and I like I'm. I don't know where I fi- stand on that. I was so excited when the concept one came out in the nineties. The and then when the, the beetle actually debuted, it was a little bit of a letdown. Cause it was just this huge hulking thing uh, on top of golf hardware. And it like, it was cool for the first year and it's just like, Oh, these things have a lot of trade-offs. They're stylistically interesting, but not really, it's not really the Beetle that we all know and love. And and I, so I got a little jaded with that. And the, uh, the bus thing is like, guys, Volkswagen can do something besides the 50s and the 40s. <laughs> like you, you, you'd you made other cars uh, and you can you can innovate. You can do something new instead of this nostalgia play all the time. So I don't I don't really know where I come because I love all those air cooled Volkswagens, too. So I don't I don't really know where I come down on it other than to say that if you were a a tanned Aryan looking, um, <laughs> California Gen Z uh, and you want a bus, just go get one of the electric <laughs> conversions. They're all made out there. Like get, get, get it. They don't rust as much out there. You can find one, just, just get the electric one. And then you'll have the best of both worlds.
1: There all you right. go. A fine yeah. recommendation. Um,
2: so in, in my driveway we've had also an old vehicle that probably doesn't sell as much, uh, the Toyota four runner, um i had the forerunner trd off-road package and i i remember when this generation of forerunner was introduced they came up to boston they gave us a presentation they talked about how
1: (gasps) wait was it bright? was it uh, this
2: one was red it was actually really sharp um because
1: i had the bright blue one that I. oh okay Okay, so you
2: loved it too that's good uh I loved it. I, yes, I also I came away. I I just I loved it, and I I just I. But I remember when it was introduced, like <laughs> back in like 2010 or whatever, uh, even before that. Um, and they gave us a presentation where they, said, you know, we 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 wanted to make something that was ju- had just as credible off road as you know the Wrangler or the the old Forerunner or, or whatever. It's a very popular off road vehicle, and it has that that credibility. It's a traditional SUV, and so they they did their design. They brought the prototype out to the Rubicon they tried to break it. It didn't break. <laughs> and that's the one they're still making now. Uh, and so it's been around for a very long time. So I don't know whether the vehicle has matured to a point where it's, it's gotten really good and they've fixed the things they didn't like about it. Or if I've just sort of grown into it as uh, the market has shifted and and we look for vehicles with personality. And the forerunner certainly has an overt personality. Uh, you know, some of the things I didn't like about it before was I thought it was loud. The interior felt kind of cheap. It rode kind of crappy. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a traditional SUV, so all of those things were fine. It wasn't that efficient. Um, again, traditional SUV, not really supposed to be. Uh, but this latest go around, uh, and part of it is probably the TRD off-road trim, but it was it was quiet inside or quiet enough you know it was it was comfortable it it rode with some discipline it rode pretty well there's still a little bit of numbness in the steering because of the the tires and the fact that it's it's an SUV uh it's still not terribly efficient the 4 liter version of that V6 uh isn't the most powerful thing out there uh but it it's plenty it feels fine and and the engine transmission work together very smoothly you get that that Lexus smoothness coordination when you're not um, asking it for everything it's got. So in that traditional Toyota sense, everything is has been really thought over and really well done. And uh the ergonomics feel really old. <laughs> the the nav system is especially cumbersome because it's got this tiny screen and it's it's just it's an old system, it's an old vehicle, so I'm assuming they can't really update a ton. But I actually loved the fact that it's got huge buttons and switches and knobs that you can operate even in the winter when it's cold and you've got gloves on, you can make it, make it all work. Um, it, it just, I, I really enjoyed driving it and I took it mildly off road where it rode like a cloud over everything. It was, it was delightful. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's there's really, there's not too many choices for a four door traditional frame-based SUV. It's like this and the, uh, the Wrangler unlimited. And I would pick the forerunner in a heartbeat over the Wrangler. It's just that much more refined.
1: I, I echo everything that you said, even about the entertainment system as well. And there was, and I'm, I apologize. I had it over July 4th and I, I guess I, Must have had something else as well. But I drove it all the way up to Boston and back, which is, you know, quite a distance. On crappy roads. (laughs) On crappy roads. (laughs) But I mean, I, you know... I loved it. I mean, I think I drove up on the third and came back on the fifth. And so it was a lot of driving, you know, in a relatively short amount of time. And it was fantastic. And I just there were so many good things about it. Uh, The the other people that should consider this vehicle are those with or wanting the Nissan Xterra. Because I think it has a lot of that same, you know, that that same feel to it um, that isn't available today. There's just there's not a lot of vehicles like this. On the road anymore, you know. It
0: knew, it's still a Body on frame SUV. It is, it but you absolutely,
1: know, absolutely, it's a classic body on frame. But it doesn't right, drive that's what I was going like
2: to say. That, it drives. Though. It's it feels quite solid. It doesn't have a lot of, and it's part of it is because it's a, a short wheelbase, so it doesn't do a lot of that that winding mm-hmm. up. That it, you can even even now pickups, you can feel them sort of. You can feel the torsion. It, this doesn't do it. It's very rigid. It's very stiff, um, in in a good way, uh, and. Yeah. I mean, I I think that I I was just driving it around like, God, can you put a plow on this thing? It's great. It's like, it's (laughs) just just, just like, it's that traditional SUV that, that
1: I just, I love the authenticity of it. That's what it's not anything it pretends to be otherwise. And while, you know, the infotainment system and stuff is definitely dated. It's not why you buy this vehicle. And I just I thought the roominess of it was really impressive. Um, we got two large uh, armchairs, like the traditional sort of Pottery Barn esque with the big fat arms. Uh, we got two of those in the back, and a ton of other stuff. I'll try and dig out the pictures because I'm pretty sure I took some pictures of it. Uh, and it was just it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. I loved I, it.
2: I quite liked it a lot. I mean. The cargo space is really good. Uh, there are annoyances. It, it, there's still some of that cheap plastic. Certainly, uh, the the top of the dash is, is feels a little cheap. But in once they dress it up, it you know maybe this is what we we're talking about too with the Atlas. Like once they dress it up, it becomes acceptable. But also like you know what you're buying when you buy this. No nobody buys this without understanding that you're buying a a piece of like serious hardware that has you know, capabilities. It has a manual transfer case for crying out loud. (laughs) um,
1: Exactly.
2: It's it's the inverter. It has a 400 watt inverter that makes AC power, which is great, but it's all the way back in the cargo hold. So if you, if you want it up in the the second row or the first row to, to power a device, get your extension cord. Um, And (laughs) it's USB ports are not high current USB ports. So it sort of like made my phone, discharge slower <laughs> but it would not charge my phone and and so that's that's an issue with the modern sort of power hungry devices those those couple of things but you can solve them and again like you know it's if you have an active lifestyle that's where you yeah. get a
0: you, you go you go get a, a good anchor uh, charger yeah. and plug it into that inverter yeah. oh
2: there's a and there's a bunch
0: of 12 volt uh outlets all
2: around too so you can get one of the little anchor uh chargers that go into the 12 volt outlet too i mean it's a it's a it's a great traditional suv if you if you want to do something you know active and put put you know kayaks on the top and tow something this this is one that will do just about all of those traditional suv things it's really one of the few left so uh i I actually didn't have that issue with my with charging my phone maybe your phone doesn't have the beat up crappy battery that my (laughs) <laughs> I don't know but I
1: don't I don't recall having that issue I do recall though getting a lot again like a lot of thumbs up from I had it up in Manchester by the sea and oh yeah the that's... town is a lot happy <laughs> the town is a lot happier than than the movie implies
2: <laughs> uh yeah. not shy you
1: know, I, I <laughs> No, then I'll show, I, but oh my gosh, I brought that thing to Gloucester and Gloucester? I thought I was going to get a You parade. took it to Gloucester?
2: Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> I took it to Gloucester. <laughs> uh. But no, it, it's, it it is, it's just, it's one of those great, authentic, body on frame, I can do anything kinds of vehicles, but very well behaved off-road, did not, you know, drove smaller than it looks. Yeah. I, and, and as I said, like, so my, my brother-in-law has an exterra that's going to die at some point in time. And he's like, I'm getting this next.
0: No, it's not. (laughs) No, I don't. I I think those things live forever.
1: (laughs) Well, I said at some point, I didn't say the next, you know. Owners tend to be very committed to it. It's 10 years old. It's 10 years old. And I think I'll have to ask him, but I think it may have like. 60 or seventy thousand miles on it because he basically drives it to and from the train station and that's it that's
2: good so he's gonna put a lot of exhaust yeah in. Right. he
1: goes to the dump in it <clears throat> things like that but um but he he absolutely it's the 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 toyota is definitely an option for him and he just he was like this is still a forerunner like it still looks like you want the forerunner to look because so many vehicles, um, like they, they you know, just don't look yeah. like that anymore. No, and it, like the Nissan Pathfinder, it's you know?
2: great. It looks like a Forerunner, like the yeah. the classical idea of a Forerunner. They, they just, I think they did a great job with it, and it's been on the market for a long time. But it, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be updated or replaced. It is, it is what it is. And, and so I've either grown into it, or uh, they've they've matured it to the point
0: where it's just it's become really good. You've just given up hope that it'll ever become anything. I
2: don't think it needs to be anything different. I would, I would be disappointed if it became something other than what it is.
1: Well, and that's the thing is like, again, like when I saw it, I was like, Oh man, I got to drive this thing up and back to Boston and it's 200 miles solid. And I could not believe how good it was. I really, I was absolutely delighted with it. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, in terms of pretenders, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm finishing off this week with the uh, the Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, and uh, you know it's uh, it's interesting. <laughs> um, I, M- Rebecca, maybe you know, like, do they know who buys these things?
1: <laughs> no, I think Sam probably has more inside information on that than I do.
0: I don't think I've ever actually seen one in the wild. Oh
2: well, they look like a Lamborghini Urus.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and from the back they kind of
2: look like an aztec. I don't know. I mean it's a better it's a better Mitsubishi, but it's still it's like 30 something thousand dollars. and that's just oh. I,
0: that's a low bar. I
2: yeah, I the, the 1.5 liter turbo engine and the CVT are a really good combo actually, but the the it's I'm puzzled. But I I, I want to get through the week with it before I you know, speak too far out of turn and say bad things that they, I then have to take back.
0: So the the tycon, it's official. And and as we're as we're recording this on on Sunday morning, uh, September eighth, the tycon goes into production tomorrow. So they will start rolling off the assembly line tomorrow. Uh, that's
2: super exciting, and I'm sure that they're going to do a yeah. better job than uh, spitting them out of a tent in their parking lot. But but this the thing I actually wanted to dig into a little bit was uh a lot of the chatter is n- not not Tycon all on its own. It's how does it compare to the Tesla Model S? Is it a Model S killer? Is it, you know, and some of that's valid. Certainly. Yeah, I mean it's it's it's
0: obviously, you know, the first, you know, the, the most direct competitor yet to the Model S. Yeah. And, you know, 7 years after the S debuted, you know, this is the first one that really takes it, takes it head on. You know, most of the other EVs, premium EVs that we've seen come out in the past year are all crossovers. You know, the, uh, the Audi e-tron, the, the Jaguar I-Pace, the Mercedes EQC in Europe, you know, they're all utilities. This is the first one that is a direct shot at the Model S. And even at that, you know, Porsche is careful to to not necessarily make that comparison for for a lot of reasons.
2: Yeah, well, it, there's plenty of room in the market, too. Oh like,
0: yeah. Like the I mean, well, considering EVs are you know barely one percent of the market, there's lots of room for it, everybody.
2: Well, and how is the Model S selling right now? It's it's kind of down compared to like they they part of it is Tesla shifted production right to to focus on the Model Three deliveries.
0: Yeah, but but demand demand for the S and the X has has tanked in the last year. I mean they're their sales are down by about half about half this year compared to last year, because, you know, part of it is, you know, it's been out there, you know, it's been out there for seven years. You know, it's got one, one mid cycle refresh, but you know, it's, it's starting to show its age. And, you know, frankly, you know, aside from the electric powertrain, you know, the interior of the S was never that great to begin with, you know, except for that, that big screen that some people like. But, you know, the, they're, you know now, you know Porsche is really, you know what what Porsche has done is not so much target the S, but try to build you know a car that is a you know what Porsche customers want, but that happens to be electric, and you know in many ways you know this is more you know second generation Panamera than than Model S.
2: Yeah, well, and I think that's that's the key is this is an electric. It, Porsche, and it has been designed and engineered to be a Porsche. And so, like reading through the details, it's it's um there's a lot of just really innovative thinking and very careful design and engineering that went into this car. So it's you know, the high points are are pretty high, you know, i'm in, I'm impressed with a lot of those details. I think i'm I'm also a little disappointed with where they come out on the the range side of things you would think that they would do better but i also don't know that that's actually such
0: an issue well so so let's get into that i mean i think that has been the you know one well there's been a couple things that have really come up this week one is the fact that they call it the Ticon turbo and you know since it's an electric vehicle you know calling it a turbo seems a little dubious uh but then again um you know Porsche also sells a lot of cars that have turbochargers that they don't call turbos. So take that for what you want. I mean,
2: it's shorthand for, you know, goes very fast.
0: (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, there, there evidently will be a lower cost, (laughs) lower performance version of the Taycan coming, you know, by comparison to this one, at least coming, you know, within the next year, uh, which I guess won't be badged as a turbo. Um, So what we have right now is the Taycan turbo and the turbo S you know, with the, the the turbo running zero to sixty in three seconds, the Turbo S two point six seconds. Um, one of the you know they they have they don't have official EPA range numbers for this vehicle yet. Um, it's not going on sale here till I think early in twenty twenty. Is that right, Rebecca? Yeah. Uh, you know, so they have the WLTP numbers, which is the WLTP is the World Light Duty Test Protocol, which they that's the new test procedure that they switched to in Europe last year. And under WLTP, uh, it's rated at 270 mi- 279 miles of range. Uh, and WLTP numbers typically come in roughly between 15 and 20% higher than EPA test cycle numbers. So based on that, you know, we can assume that <clears throat> the, the U.S. spec icon is probably going to be somewhere around 220 or so miles of range. The current long range Model S is rated at 370 miles, but there's some important caveats to consider there. I actually had a a chat with Dan Edmonds uh, from edmonds.com. And despite his last name, he's not the owner or founder of Um, (laughs) edmonds.com. But he's he's, uh, the technical director there. And over the last several years, Dan's done a lot of testing on Teslas, you know, on all the, the, all the different variants of the S and the X and the model three. And uh, we had a a chat the other day about this and I think he's going to be coming out with, uh, with, with some more detailed stuff. You know, he's, he's he's telling me he's going to be going through some of his data that he's collected over the last several years. But um, you know, I think, something that's important to consider. And if you look at the, you know, some of the Tesla forums and stuff like that, you know, a lot of Tesla drivers don't actually, you know, achieve the numbers that are on the EPA label. And, uh you know, one of, you know, one of the, one of the things to keep in mind about Porsche is they tend to err on the conservative side with the numbers that they publish, whether it's acceleration numbers or fuel economy or, or, you know, probably in this case, uh electric range. Uh, and so, you know, in, in all likelihood, you know, the production Tycon will probably be able to do better than 220. And, you know, what Dan told me is that none of the Tesla's that they have ever tested have ever achieved the EPA rated values on those various models. They've, they've never come close. They're all, there's always a significant shortfall and part of what Tesla does you know, when they, do, when they do their EPA testing, and this is something that, <clears throat> that um, you know, the, uh, for the official testing, you know, they run the, the car, you know, they go, they charge it all the way to 100%, and they, they test the range going all the way down to zero. So from 100% state of charge of the battery to zero. And, but when you actually get into a Tesla for the first time, it's by default. It doesn't actually give you access to 100% of the battery. It only gives you access to 90% of the battery. And in the settings, you know, it says, you know, we recommend that, you know, for battery durability, that you don't charge it past 90%. Uh, so, you know, you can't. You know, and there's a switch in there. You can you can switch it. and Say, I need the extra t- range, so charge it to 100%, and I'm going to use that. But they recommend not doing that on a regular basis because it will. It will degrade the battery if you charge it all the way to 100%. So their range numbers are based on 100% of the available energy capacity in the battery. But they, they recommend not actually using that. Porsche, on the other hand, like Audi, uh, you know, with the e-tron, does not even give you access to that full 100%. So you've got a 93 kilowatt hour battery in the Taycan, but they only give you access to 90% of that. And then there's no way to get it to 100%. So by default, your range is going to be at least ten percent less than what might be theoretically possible. Well, and the same is true, you know, with it, with a Tesla. But on the other hand, uh, the the Porsche can handle
2: repeated hard use. You know, the the repeated acceleration oh, yeah. runs, the Nürburgring well, that, lap, like all of those things are. It, it it's a Porsche. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, and. And, and that's, you know, and that's, that I think that's a key component for anybody that's actually interested in, you know, a high end electric vehicle, you know, for its performance capabilities, you know, the, the model S, you know, will give you, you know, great zero to 60 numbers, you know, it'll, it'll run a quarter mile as fast as almost anything in the world, any, almost any production car in the world, but it'll do it once, maybe twice. And then the motors start to overheat and it starts to, and the bat and the power electronics start to overheat and you start to lose performance and you have to let it sit and cool down for a while before you get that performance back again. Uh, and it's never been a great handling car either. Um, you know, a couple of years ago um, you know, car and driver readers complained when uh, car and driver didn't include the model S in their lightning lap competition at, at VIR. And, you know, so the following year, uh, they took the the Model S and they actually tried to run a lap and, you know, to show why they didn't include it because, you know, about halfway around the lap and VIR is about a three and a half mile track, about halfway around, you know, it went into you know, power reduction mode, you know, so like two minutes into driving this thing or less than two minutes into driving this thing, it reduced the power and its lap time was just terrible because, you know, the half, the last half of the lap, you know, it had like... less power than when it started the lap Um, for Porsche, you know, that was not an acceptable uh, outcome. And so, you know, they're, they're very aggressive on cooling the motors, cooling the battery, cooling the electronics um, and making sure, you know, they designed everything so that it drives like a Porsche. So for, you know, they took it to the Nürburgring and they uh, ran it there, uh, and recorded a, a record, you know, a new record lap time for a four-door EV in uh, seven minutes, 42 seconds. Um, they also did um, zero to 120 mile an hour or zero to 200 kilometer per hour. Which is about 124 miles an hour sprints, um, 26 in a row. And from the first one to the last one, they only lost seven tenths of a second going from <laughs> zero to 124 That's miles an hour.
1: Incredible. 26 in a row. But aren't we going to see a Tesla on Nürburgring shortly?
0: Um, and <laughs> tomorrow. Probably not. <laughs> um, because a, apparently, you know, the day after the Taycan reveal, uh, Elon tweeted out that, you know, we're, the Model S is going to the Nürburgring next week. Well, um, turns out Car- uh, track called uh, the Nürburgring to find out what day they were going to do it. And I said, we have no idea because they haven't actually booked any time. To, to set a record lap time, you have to book exclusive time on the track and he said we're booked out for the rest of the year. So we're It's typically
1: about a year wait anyway, unless you have the consort, unless you're part of the consortium.
0: Right. And so, um, you know, they, they haven't booked any time, any Nurburgring time. So I don't know when, you know, they're certainly not going to be almost certainly not going to be able to do it this week unless they convince somebody else to give up their time slot this week. Um, So we'll, we'll see. I I would not expect to actually see uh, the Model S, you know, going for a a lap record uh, anytime in the foreseeable future. So Um, Sam,
1: have they made modifications to the vehicle so that they don't lose time? uh, They don't don't lose power like they did. Yes.
0: Um, On the Model S. No, they haven't on the Model 3. um, You know, it does have some, some more aggressive thermal management. Um, they switched from an AC induction from the Model S originally had uh, both two AC induction motors, front and rear, um, and they switched to using um, the per- permanent magnet motor on the f- front axle um, that, that is from the Model 3. The Model 3 also uses a mix of an AC induction and permanent magnet. The AC induction motors, while they're very efficient and they're, they're lower cost and don't use any rare earth materials, they also tend to heat up more, and so they they run into the heat problem. Yeah, I was
2: surprised to, uh, to read that detail where they use permanent magnet motors because they're just – I always thought it was the other way where AC induction is actually more efficient, but it's, it's not. The permanent magnet motors are um, more efficient, more powerful for their size – And because, uh, you know, because they have the magnets, they have a, they have a magnetic field, you know, you don't have to generate that Mm -hmm. with, with electricity. You're not creating heat to do that. And
0: well, the AC AC induction motors are efficient up until they start to overheat. Then the efficiency drops off.
2: Oh, I see. And the permanent magnet will just take it.
0: (laughs) Yes. Permanent magnet motor will just keep going. It doesn't care. Um, and so Porsche did a lot of interesting things, you know, so they've got, you know, two permanent magnet motors, the rear one, you know, most most EVs, you know, they just use a single speed reduction gearbox, um, you know, just to to take the speed down, you know, from the 12 to 13,000 RPM that a, an electric motor can spin up to down to the speeds that the wheels need um, on the Taycan. They have a single speed um, planetary gear set on the front axle on the rear motor. They actually have a two speed uh, transmission um, and. So they've got a a low gear, a 16 to one gear for launch mode, and then um, an eight to one gear ratio for higher speeds. So it's going to be more efficient. So the motor can spin at a lower speed at high high speeds. And so that, you know, Porsche has done the kinds of things that are expected of a Porsche to make sure that it can provide sustained performance. You know, another thing, another one of the tests they did was they uh, went to Nardo in Southern Italy Uh, which is like eight and a half miles circular track. And they did a 24 hour test and they ran um, 2,100 miles in 24 hours in a 24 hour period, Um, you know, with average speed of 89 miles an hour. And that included the time that the car had to recharge, you know, every couple of hundred miles. So overall, you know, my, my guess is that, um, you know, on the track, you know, and, you know, even real world performance, you know, that isn't going in a straight line for a quarter mile at a time, the, the Taycan will probably outperform the model S. Um, And I think that the, the real range difference between the two cars is probably going to be a lot smaller than what the EPA label numbers um, show. And one thing that's, that's interesting, you know, about Tesla's EPA label numbers, you know, when other manufacturers of internal combustion engine vehicles do their, you know, when they do their um, fuel, mile, fuel economy testing, you know, part of the process is, you know, the actual test is run on a dynamometer. But in order to set up the dynamometer to simulate, you know, things like aerodynamic drag and rolling resistance and, and weight, you know, they have to, um, to set the, the dyno, you know, for a certain amount of resistance, and to, to get those settings, what they do is they actually take the vehicle out and they do, there's a procedure for doing what they call coast down testing, you know, that, mm. that gives you the load values. Um, and this is where several manufacturers, including Ford and uh, Hyundai and Kia in, in past years, have gotten into trouble with their fuel economy label numbers, where if they didn't do the, co- if you don't do the coast down testing, right, you get load values that are too, too low. And then when you put that into the dyno, then you end up with higher fuel economy values than you can actually achieve in the real world. Well, um, you know, when that happens with ICE vehicles, you know, customers complain about, Hey, why can't I get, you know, the 40 miles per gallon that I was promised with this thing. you know, why am I only getting 30 miles per gallon with this thing? And when EPA gets enough complaints like that, then they go back and actually test the vehicles because the, in the U.S., all the vehicles are self-certified, um, and they they don't they don't do uh, um, you know the EPA only does uh, tests a small percentage of the new vehicles every year, and with Ford and with Hyundai, Kia, and and, and also with Mini, a few years ago, um, when uh, when they go back and test, if they find that there's a discrepancy between their testing and what the manufacturer submitted, then they have to go back and relabel those vehicles and end up paying big fines uh, and sometimes have to check send checks to the owners. And I think my guess is that what's happening with Tesla is because it's an EV and the you know, EVs are so variable in their, their real world performance and because they don't have any emissions anyway. EPA is not actually looking that close at the, the documentation that Tesla is submitting. And they're not, they probably haven't actually gone back and audited to see if these numbers are actually realistic. And I think if they did, they would probably end up having to go back and re, uh, re-label those vehicles with lower range numbers than they, ha- than they have. Um, but I think EPA is basically turning a blind eye to, um, uh, to Tesla right now for, for unknown reasons. Well, I, I have reasons that I can speculate on, but we don't need to get into that. (laughs) No, it's
2: going to make the podcast too long. (laughs)
0: Yeah. But, uh, you know, my my guess is that real world range is probably not going to be as big as the label numbers indicate uh, or the range discrepancy. And, you know, really, you know, if you've got more than 200 miles of range, you know, anything more than that is really more about bragging rights than actual usability. Um, especially, you know, when you can charge at 270 kilowatts, you know, um, Porsche says that the Taycan can charge from 5% charge to 80% charge in 22 minutes, um, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. That's,
2: and that's because it's got the, the, what is it? 722.2 volt system or something like that.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the, the average, you know, it's actually an 800 volt system, um, you know, and. The actual charging rate varies depending on what the state of charge is and, you know, or, you know, the voltage depends on the state of charge of the battery, but on average, it's uh, it's like 720 some um, volts, but it goes up to up to a peak of 800 volts at full charge. Okay. Which is the, that's the first for an EV. They're, they're the first production EV to do that. Uh, most current stuff is in the three to 400 volt range, including I- Tesla.
1: I think, I think the vehicle looks awesome. I wish it, I wish it was a hatchback like the Panamera. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, that's my, my only, uh, my only fault with it. But, um, the other thing that we didn't touch on, and thank you for going over all the technical stuff is the interior is basically buttonless. (laughs) I mean, it's like, it's all screens which I think and, is, and a, you've seen
0: it in person. You know, I, when I, when I sat in the prototype, all that stuff was covered up. So oh, I couldn't see it. So, okay. um, uh, you know, I have no idea what it's actually like to interact with that. Did, did you get a chance to actually play with any of that stuff?
1: Not really. We couldn't, we, we could look, but not touch. And so, <laughs> Sounds like a very German experience. Uh, I know, very, very <laughs> German experience. <laughs> exactly. I, uh, but there's a couple of cool things and I, you know, I don't abhor touch screens like some of my dear friends, Sam, uh, do. But um, one of the things they've done that's very innovative is they have a touch screen for the passenger. So like normally where like where you just have a piece of hard plastic and there's a label that says airbag on there, like above the glove box. That's actually a screen now. And the passenger, for better or for worse, The passenger has access. I I don't think they can necessarily change the navigation, but they can see the navigation screen better than having it like over to the side. And it's a very different experience to have everything right there. So that was really innovative. But it also struck me that this is it's so funny to me because the Corvette sort of mimicked a Porsche with all of its buttons. And now Porsche has gone completely away from the buttons. So there's a big contrast. Between those two approaches. I like the
2: buttons. Give me buttons. Well,
1: do you like the Corvette buttons?
2: Uh, No. (laughs) No. You know what? I would like the opportunity to assess that for myself uh, with a Corvette in my driveway. (laughs) So, (laughs)
1: Reserving judgment. I like um, that but it's just you know when i first saw the corvette i was like oh this is kind of funny because one of the big complaints that a lot of people have about the Porsche interior is that it's all buttons and it is i mean it was very almost overwhelming oh, so certainly
0: on the on the Panamera oh, yeah. yeah
1: on the Panamera and you know but they went in the completely in the complete opposite <clears throat> direction here uh it will be very interesting i i'm hoping that the launch uh, is more diverse than some of Porsche's later latest experiences. Um, with who gets to who gets an invite, uh, but you know, so hopefully I'll be able to interact with it soon. Or Sam, you will. Or both of us. Or all three of us. In an even better case. But uh, it's a very sleek, very modern design. Uh, they did do only Apple CarPlay. And their contention is that 80% of their buyers and their owners are Apple users. Uh, I asked Strategic Vision the same question, and they actually got 86% uh, from, from their research. So uh, the other thing I was told was that because of Android having more of an open source feel or less privacy, that that was something else that uh, Portia was concerned yeah. about but i'm just i'm a little surprised they don't even offer and have no intention of offering it. i
2: think of all the automakers who just really know all of the important stuff about their customers porsche is like their information is is probably the most trustworthy in that sense like they 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 know exactly what they need to know about their customers and and that makes sense i would assume that porsche owners are uh Apple device owners as well and there's there's less control you have less control over the experience because of there's so many different flavors of Android so I can see why they would avoid it right
1: yeah I can I can see that I was just I was hoping that they would at least have it on their radar but they don't they're like nope we're not going to do Android at all all right fair enough it's, I mean, <laughs> so,
0: course, you want Android you, you buy well, the Volkswagen that's it. I'm not I'm not buying a Taycan, yeah. then. <laughs> that's it right I'm out <laughs>
1: To Which, be fair, I don't know. Does Tesla offer both? I don't know if they Tesla do. Tesla doesn't not. offer any. Oh, okay. They don't offer either either unless, one. Unless
0: unless they make you know a Tesla, you know, they make all that stuff in turn in house themselves. They okay. don't they don't have Android Auto or CarPlay. Um, you can get Slacker radio though. They do have Slacker or radio. So
1: there you go. Well, so Porsche does have Apple Music. Mm-hmm. I think they're one of the yeah, first they're, ones. They're they're
0: integrating Apple Music right into the system.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously, it's not a reason to not purchase the vehicle, but it's an interesting strategy. Yes, it is. There's many other reasons well, I'm sure that people will have for not purchasing it, but I think they did starting a with $150, $150, Starting
0: with $150,000 starting price.
1: That, that could be a small There's barrier. There's
0: going to be a cheaper one.
2: <laughs> but also like, I, and that's why it's like, well, uh, comparisons to the Model S don't really hold up in that sense. Like $150,000 Model S is a, I don't even know if you can make one that expensive.
0: Um, Not, not anymore. They lowered the price on the model S because in part, because sales have been declining. Um, So I think, I think now they max out somewhere around 120, 125. You could, you could previously get one at a little over 140, but now they're, they're about 125 is the most expensive one. But you know, the, and the other thing to, to remember always about any Porsche is that, um, you know that starting price is just a, a mere suggestion. Um, but by, by the by the time you're done, by the time you walk out of there or drive out of there, you're often paying much, 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 much more than that. You know, like a a Taycan S, a Taycan Turbo S. You know, I started going through the the build and price the other day. You know, and I ha- I was up to around two ten, and I still had not you know checked off everything. Um, and you know, Porsche will. Will happily take your money, you know. To if you if there's a color that's you know a, that's not on the uh, the regular color palette that you would like your exterior or interior or both to be, uh, or some particular materials, you know, or the hide of a particular cow that you want for your seats, they will more than happily go out and slaughter that cow and get those hides yeah. tanned. Uh, you know, I mean, for for a price, they will do. They will give you exactly the Taycan that you want or any other model.
2: They will go cow tipping for you. (laughs) Oh, you want the
0: leather on the vents?
2: Yes, you may. Absolutely.
1: But I got to tell you, I think I said this before that the, the launch control. I mean, I was sitting in the passenger seat and I have never felt. I don't know if it's vertigo. I don't know what it was. But Sam, did you guys do launch control?
0: We didn't do launch control, but we did, you know, we did a couple of laps of the uh, the New York formula E circuit. Right. And um, so, you know, it, it was hard cornering, hard braking, hard oh, acceleration.
1: It was incredible. So we did both because we were on the little, on the one mile test track that they have outside of Porsche headquarters in Atlanta. And I got to tell you, I mean that it, it was G forces like I've never felt before. It was awesome. It's, yeah, and I, it, it, we couldn't we couldn't record. You know, we we couldn't take pictures. But I do wish that I had at least had my phone on to record because I haven't laughed and screamed and laughed and screamed alternately like that in a while.
2: <laughs> I, I, yeah, and it, it probably is vertigo because when you when you accelerate real hard, your eyeball compresses a bit, so it messes with your vision. I gotta
1: say, it was it was totally disorienting yeah like i felt like you know i i've never been in an f-16 although i've always wanted to go but now i have a better idea I, it was it was fantastic well, i mean maybe sam so can hook fun. you
2: up with uh with bob lutz he can take you out in his mig uh,
1: yeah exactly <laughs> having driven with bob lutz that was close oh enough,
0: my goodness you know. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you know i mean i've i've ridden shotgun with Juan montoya in a ZR1 Corvette around the, uh, uh, the Milford, uh, handling track at the GM proven grounds. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, I mean that that's, you know, as close to that sort yeah. of experience as, as you're probably going to get on the ground.
2: Yeah. 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 It was pretty awesome. I, that might be one of those things like I don't smoke, but right now I need a cigarette. <laughs> 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 um,
1: exactly
2: um all right well so I mean the tycon seems like a like it's gonna it's gonna be a Porsche like a winner for Porsche because of the way they obsessively engineer their cars
0: and they'll they'll probably sell as many as they yeah. choose to build you know and you know next year they're gonna add the the cross turismo uh you know which is a uh, slightly taller um wagonish hatchback crossover type of variant of this. Um, you know, and then they're going to have more stuff coming. Yeah. And, and there's new EVs coming from everybody, you know, it, it, there's a, a mini E that's, you know, coming from BMW. Um, there's, uh, you know, Ford is going to be showing their, uh, they show, they released a teaser video this week of, um, of the prototype of their new Mustang inspired electric crossover, uh, doing cold weather testing. Um, that's going to be shown later. That car is going to be shown later this year, uh, perhaps at the LA Auto Show, um, you know, and and there's there's EVs coming from everywhere.
1: There are. Well, and, you know, I think that one of the things that's really cool about the EV market is that we are starting to see some real alternatives to Tesla for people that want a more traditional buying experience, that want a more traditional ownership experience. I uh, And you know, it's it's I love the fact that this thing is all Porsche as well. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, how I felt about the Audi eTron, tron uh, where it's just it's just a, such a good Audi and it just happens to be electric. So I'm really excited for the Taycan. I think it'll be really cool.
0: Yeah. Even though I'll never own one.
1: No, I did read somewhere that there were 30,000 pre-orders for it.
0: Yeah. And that's that's what their production capacity is per year. So.
1: So maybe next year we can get one. We can get one off
0: lease. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, I think you you brought this up
2: a little bit uh, in trying to evaluate a car that is a it's a crossover slash SUV, and it's sort of t- tilted a little too much in the SUV direction, and that that <laughs> causes it to uh, to have trade offs in in real world life. And and I think uh, just expressing that in a review in a way that's fair was was what we were sort of struggling with. Yes.
1: Well, you know, I you know, we drive we drive these cars all the time and, you know, all different cars obviously, and um I just found that there's some vehicles that want to emphasize the all-wheel drive, I mean the off-road capabilities, but then it often compromises the on-road experience. And and as we talked about earlier, one of the things that was remarkable about the Toyota 4 is that it didn't do that. Like it it was Still, you know, really, it's obviously it's pretty capable off road, um, but it's great on road. And I just I drove the Honda Pilot recently and Honda's actually been really emphasizing their off road capability. The Honda Passport drive event was mostly off road uh, and the and Honda actually had a specific event to demonstrate how capable pilot is off road, but I found that it drives so big uh, on road as well that it was it was a little compromised. I thought I uh, you know especially if I compare it to vehicles like the Hyundai uh, Palisade and the Kia Telluride, which are very very close competitors. Uh, they are not necessarily touting how good they are off road, although the Palisade launch did. Have an off-road component to it, so I guess I just, you know, it's interesting to me about that balance of how much do you market a, a crossover as off-road capable, and how much do you say, you know, what we're we're not going to go in that direction. We're going to show you how well it can do on-road.
2: Do you think it has anything to do with what they know or what they think they know about their their customers? Well, I think there's still this perception
1: that a vehicle has to have that go anywhere, do anything, I can conquer the world mentality to it. And I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it's, you know, I think that there is an element of of that where people say, hey, you know, I'm buying an SUV or a crossover. I'm buying an SUV and and don't necessarily realize that it's not. Truck based, uh, but they want that perception. You know, we joked earlier, right, that the um, the official vehicles of Greenwich, Connecticut, are things like the Forerunner and the and the Porsche Cayenne, and you know that those certainly have that feeling of or that perception that um, it can go anywhere. So I don't know. I just felt I, I'd love to get people's uh, input into whether that makes a difference for them when they purchase a vehicle.
2: Yeah. Well, I I'm curious about. <clears throat> whether whether they want the pilot and the the passport to be seen as off-road vehicles, and that's why they're trying to position them that way, versus uh really positioning them as a, a solution to people's everyday needs. You know, one of the the rules that I have yeah. for um for my team when we're we're working up a it's sort of a marketing campaign or, or a way we're gonna we're gonna message something is. Usually you want people, especially with an aspirational product like a car or, or, you know, a big ticket item, you want them to see and understand how that fits into their life. Um, some of the aspirational thing like a Corvette certainly sure show it driving on a track, but like a, a, a passport or a, um, a pilot like those are. They're your family wagon. They're your van. You want to show it doing those things, not necessarily driving on the dunes in the Sahara. But
1: the passport is is designed to be more of a um, personal vehicle. You know, it's something like that. That's a family consider. truckster. Well, but I but I mean, the passport though is more personal rather than the oh, the passport. Pilot. Yeah, sorry,
0: I, I thought you were talking about the right. pilot. Yeah,
1: no. So the so the passport is smaller. It's it's the same wheelbase as the pilot, but it's smaller. And it's more of a personal vehicle, whereas the pilot is very much designed to be a family vehicle. And while you may go off road in it, which is to say that you are going to drive on a dirt track to the soccer field, you know, the idea that 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 it's going to be going hardcore off-road and that's not really what they had us do they had us going through some water they had us going um doing you know a little wheel tipping kind of stuff um but it's this but I I just I was kind of disappointed in how it drove on road it drove really big and it felt really empty and while I was mostly driving it empty even when I did have people in it they had that same impression, which was very interesting to me. That that's that was their takeaway as well.
2: I I, I think that you know the the Palisade and the um, the Telluride are to the other side of that compromise. Where where Hyundai and Kia have said, yeah, we'll make sure it has all wheel drive. We'll make sure it won't really get stuck if you you know take it up the road to to camp in the summer or something. But beyond that, we're not making. Too many promises because nobody cares, and what they really care about more is like how many USB ports does it have? How easy is it to get to the third row? Um, You know, is it comfortable? What do the materials look like? Uh, That kind of stuff. And so there's, I think there there you're seeing both ends of the market there, two different approaches, the the Honda approach and the Hyundai approach.
1: (laughs) Very much so, very much so. But it, you know, I think it's also important that you know, buyers realize that there's a lot of competition out there for mainstay vehicles like the Honda Pilot that, you know, I was talking to somebody on, on a flight home the other day and she said, you know, I've I've got a family, I'm kind of looking around. And I said, you have to think about the, the Kia and the Hyundai. And she's like, really? I said, yes, absolutely. You have to go drive these Yeah, they're, they're really, and really formidable they are they're they're incredible. And so, you know, it's just for buyers to understand that there's options out there and for for Honda uh to understand that the pilot's going to face significant competition.
2: Yeah, so are you like how do you express that in a review? Like because one of the things you don't want to do when you have the the nice uh perk of borrowing cars on a regular basis is uh get yourself iced out. I always try to um, make sure I truly understand what the car is meant for and, and, you know, read their uh-huh. press materials. Um, sometimes I'll go as far as to, to schedule an interview with the, the PR person or an engineer or something to, to just be like, Hey, here's what I'm, I'm dealing with. Cause they, they know. And, uh, if you give them the opportunity to respond to, to, criticism, that that's sort of, that's how it's supposed to work. But you know, what, what are your concerns when you, you have that situation?
1: I always try and caveat. Well, so first of all, I never, I almost never comment on my height in a review because I am like, you know, 0.3% of adults. I'm the size of a 13 year old and I get that. So I'm not going to complain about a vehicle that maybe I have trouble getting in and out of, which is why I mentioned my friend Beth. Who's five eleven? You know, in the Mercedes, because for me to not feel cramped in a vehicle is one thing. For her to not feel cramped is an achievement. So I try and
0: always, you know, uh, on the flip side of that, though, you know, I think it is valid, you know, to because you know there are a lot of people who aren't, you know, five eleven, you know, who are (laughs) five two, five three, five four, and you know, for somebody who's of shorter stature, you know, I think it is worth. We're, there, there are times where it's worth mentioning that
1: i I agree I, and I do uh particularly when it comes to things like pickup trucks
0: yeah you know
1: where where it it's you know like before the ram 1500 had that new the split tailgate the only the only ingress into the pickup truck bed was through the license plate holder the rear license plate holder which that's the only step which is ridiculous. In today's day and age, so I mention it, but I'm not going to dock the manufacturer in the review because maybe the vehicle is a little bit harder for me to get in and out of. Now I will comment on whether it's really nice to get it. You know, if it's easy to get in and out of the vehicle, I may mention that. But I'm I'm very much aware that you know, and and I never want to do a you know data point of one. Kind of feel a specific, you know, circumstance. One of the things that I have noticed in discussions more and more with people is that we're, you know, we are a nation of this, you know, especially Gen X, we're sort of the sandwich generation. We've got young kids at home and we are caring for elderly parents. And that the elderly parent uh, opportunity, I'm going to call it because you know, a lot of people don't get the opportunity and the privilege to take care of their parents. I is. But it's it's a real concern. It's a real thing. It's one of the reasons I bought my Buick Encore was because my mom at 5'4 can get in and out of it easily. She's she's five, four and she's 85 years old and she can get in and out of it. When we went to pick her up in the Honda Pilot, she could not get in it. But again, that's more of a notation to say, you know, the Pilot sits high. And older passengers may have trouble with ingress.
0: And and that's, it's, I think that's an, ab, you know, that sort of thing is an absolutely valid point to bring up because I mean, one of the reasons why people look at reviews is trying to understand, you know, is, is this potentially the right vehicle for me? Right. And, you know, you know everybody's going to have a different perspective. And, you know, I think the more, the more, you know, broader perspectives that we can bring to it, you know, I think it, I hope that it it helps people in, in making, you know, in, in their shopping process, you know, trying to figure out what, what is the right type of vehicle, you know, for my needs. And, you know, it was interesting, you know, uh, talking to uh, folks from Lincoln um, recently about the aviator, you know, one of Mm -hmm. the things they brought up with the aviator, you know, China is a really important market to, to Lincoln and, you know, one of the reasons why they, you know, why they're anxious to bring their aviator to the Chinese market is, you know, as a three-row utility, you know, increasingly in, in China, you know, you've got multi-generational families that are going places together, you know, so you've got, you have got, you know, um, parents, grandparents, and children, young, you know, th- three generations, you know, that need to get in there. And so, you know, for, especially for the, the grandparents, you know, to be able to get in and out of it, easily is, is important. And, you know, to have enough room in there and still have a usable third row as well and cargo space, all those factors are important. And, you know, as, as even here, as we have an aging population, you know, that for a lot of people, that's an important factor here as well as to, you know um, you know, what is the ingress and egress like, you know, what is the visibility like for people of different, different heights and physical sizes.
1: Right now, the aviator they have they have a height adjustable ingress, but not egress.
2: Well, it's easier uh, to just fall out of the car than it is to climb. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, um,
1: exactly, but it is but it is a notation to you know. Again, it's it's one of those things that I noticed, um, but didn't comment on. I talked to them about it, but didn't put it in my review. Was you know sliding out of it. I had to, you know, my legs didn't quite reach when I swung them over to get out of it. And they said something about that they couldn't lower it in after the engine was turned off or something. But, you know, you're absolutely right, Sam. It is something that it's and I think it's also important to differentiate between an observation and a criticism. We're not criticizing something. We're observing and saying this was my experience with it. Your experience may be well, different.
0: Your mileage may yeah, vary. But, but,
1: but, <laughs> but in a constructive way. Yeah, manner. critique
2: is is yeah. um, it's valid, especially if you you have taken the time to educate yourself about what you're talking about. Um, and uh, you know, because otherwise all a consumer has to go on is their their website and the, the press releases and and you know everything is great in a website and a press release. And right. so we get to try the features, right? So a lot of the features that sound good on paper in practice <laughs> Uh, have have flaws, and every car is a, you know it's it's a balance of, uh, you know achieving one goal at the expense of others. That's so where they have put their their energy and and their, uh, sort of focus is is gonna that's why cars are different.
0: Um, uh, yeah, I think part of it may be you know kind of a, uh, misinterpretation of the word criticism. You know where because criticism uh, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be a negative, you know, it's critique. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, it's both positive and negative and saying, you know, here's, here, here are the the traits of this product. And, you know, here's how, you know, to, to help people understand, you know, what, what is it good for? What is it not good for to see if it fits their lifestyle?
2: Yeah. What annoys me is, um, the, the folks who review cars from, an overly personal perspective, like, oh, you know, the, the pilot's great, but it doesn't handle all that well. And, you know, high speed sweeping turns because <laughs> like, well, that's, that's not what it's for. Like,
1: well, right. Absolutely. You know. And I think that's incredibly important as well is to look at it from who is this intended for? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that, that plays a, certainly there's, you, you do have to bring some of your like, well, you know, vehicle dynamics knowledge and, and say like, like, you know, there's other cars that that drive a little more confidently and that does make a difference, but, but yeah, like everything is not a sports car. And so you can't evaluate everything like a sports car and um, just saying something sucks without saying why, or, you know, qualifying it with, it's okay to put your opinion in too. but like, if you don't qualify it as like, you know, this is my opinion, it, you're, you're kind of damaging your credibility it's it's okay to do all of that stuff but really uh you know making sure if if you're offering critique it's it's got a sort of solid foundation of like if it's an engineering or design thing like that's absolutely valid the choices that they made absolutely valid to criticize you didn't like the color that's opinion
0: (laughs) and you know this this is something that um uh, you know, somebody uh, a few weeks ago, you know, commented on a Twitter uh, on the the wheel bearings cast fee. They, they replied to something, uh, and mentioned, you know, why why do we talk so much about where you know from the perspective of the potential customer? And you know, I think you know, as a as a critic, that's what you have to do. Yeah, who I buys mean, the that, cars? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have you have to look at it. You know, from from the perspective of what is this vehicle intended for? You know, what is it designed to do? who is the intended customer? Will it meet the needs of that person? Does it, does it, does it Can it execute the job it was intended to do? And exactly. that's, that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do. And that's what this conversation is all about is, you know, we're trying to help each other understand yeah. the best way to to do this and, you know, kind of bringing our listeners along for the ride a little bit. Exactly. No that, pun intended. All right. Yeah. And on that note, um all right i got one last thing i want to okay. touch on right. um before we before we go um and that is uh nvidia drive labs you know for for anybody that's interested in learning a little bit more about how some of this machine learning deep neural network stuff works for autonomous vehicles um nvidia has put together a really interesting set of videos that are hosted by uh oh i got hold on a second i have to remember her name um she her name uh, it's uh Nita Sviatek. Uh, uh, she's a senior manager on the automated driving team at Nvidia, and uh, there's a I, I posted it on uh, wheelbearing step media and I'll, I'll I'll put the link to a playlist of these ten videos uh, in the show notes. Um, but if you know they're and they're fairly short, they're usually a minute and a half to two minutes long um, and it goes through a a bunch of the different um, types of neural networks that Nvidia is using in the software they're developing, and and you know th- this applies to what a lot of the the companies in the automated driving space are doing. So if you want to get a better idea of some of the things they're trying to do to tackle the problems of automated driving, it's, uh, take a, take a, watch these videos. They're they're pretty good, and uh, Nita does a really really good job of explaining a lot of this stuff. And it's complicated. So it's very complicated. Watching the videos. The, so- the software the software itself is way over my head, but I. You know, the, the concepts that she talks about, I think, you know, anybody, you know, even a non-software engineer, non, non-engineer non can, can understand it. All right. That's cool.
2: Good.
1: I'll listen to it and let you know. <laughs> All
0: right. <laughs> All right. Well,
2: we'll circle back. We'll ask you how you did. There will be a test.
0: Yes. There'll be a pop quiz. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, get, we'll get Danny Shapiro on here from NVIDIA to, uh, to give you a pop quiz afterwards.
2: Perfect. <laughs> oh, that'd be cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch up with you next
0: time. All right, bye. Bye.